What happens when a blind man, a woman of color, and a child of immigrants get together to discuss how diversity, inclusion, and equity affect your business? Hi everybody, welcome to the Choose Inclusion podcast. I'm UB, and I am the Latino white guy of the group. I'm Nina, I am the woman of color in the group. And I'm Mike, I'm uh, the blind guy. Hey everybody, welcome back to Choose Inclusion. This is Yubi, I'm here with Michael and Nina. Hello team. Hey everyone. Hey guys, what's going on today? Well, here we are, uh, you know, COVID-19, right in the middle of it. Um, exciting times, I would say. And Bite your tongue. What do you mean, <laughs> right in the middle of it, dude? Bite your tongue. <laughs> Come on now, we're probably just at the beginning. Oh. Opinions expressed are of mine only. <laughs> What were you going to say, Nina? Oh, no, no. I just, I, I'm hoping that we are not in the middle of it, but yeah. You're here, sister. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Fingers right. crossed. Well, in the meantime, so you know, so the, well, I was going to say, we're bringing in the meantime, on a virus and we got to kick UB off. That's great. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> I'm going crazy. No. That's why we're here, people, to help, you know, ease, ease the, the stress of, of this situation. And that's why we have my friend Aliris Allman on the show today. So Aliris uh, is founder of Deep Space Predictive and director of innovation at the Mental Health Center of Denver. And so it's, it's quite appropriate to have this conversation because what we want to look at is, is mental health. We want to look at it from the, the aspects of different communities, right? And, and different groups of people and how mental health can affect them, especially in a time of isolation like this. Um, but also, we want to talk a little bit about Deep Space Predictive and, and the work there that, that's going on there, um, because this isolation thing really applies to that. So we'll get into all of that, but I want to welcome you, Aliris. Thanks for being here. Oh, thanks for the invitation, Yubi. Looking forward to the conversation. Hi, Mike. Hi, Nina. How are you? Good. Thanks for joining us. So, Aliris, what, tell us a little bit about where you your journey, how, how you got here. <laughs> Do you want the long version or the short version? Obviously, <laughs> basically, well, the short version is I'm a nerd. I've always loved space, and I've always believed that um, every organization or industry needs to bring the human perspective into the work that they do. So I started that in in all my work, actually working with the federal government, working with Lucent Technologies, and then taking it into space. So people ask, how did you know person with a psychology background get into aerospace? Well, we are sending humans to various destinations. Therefore, we need to consider how humans act in space and their needs in space beyond just their physical um, their physical survival, the physical body, we always have to think of their mental health as well. And that's been my through line in everything that I do. So this is just bringing all my worlds together where I could bring that mental health focus and psychological health focus into aerospace. And it's perfect timing because we're going to Mars. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I wish we were going sooner. Well, so I gotta, I gotta ask, I mean, right now there's so many articles coming out about mental health at home, mental health in this world where we're all secluded and 
we're not around each other in person. Are there any like kind of key learnings that you can bring up about all the thinking you've done about space isolationism and how we can be applying that to how we think about the isolationism that's happening right now because of COVID? Right, well, Nina, that's a great question. When we talk about isolation, a lot of the analogs that we study in order to go into space are based here on Earth. So we look at isolations um, when scientists go to Antarctica. We look at isolation in terms of being in prison because that's a different kind of, that's an isolation that I think is being mirrored here in COVID. Obviously our circumstances for being in isolation are different, but, and we have more tools to combat that isolation than we would in a prison. But it also, all that applies to how does a human interact and keep their connection and what's in, and understanding what is important in maintaining, one, the connection, but the impact of that connection on your mental health and well-being. And so those are the things that we look at as it applies to space travel. And the thing with COVID and what it's enabled us to learn, because I look at every situation as an opportunity to learn. And what we've learned is, one, we do need human connection. It's important and it's vital for us to be healthy. If your mental health isn't um, above, you know, above the line, whatever your line is, you know, in a positive space, you tend to suffer physically and everything else around you suffers. So how do we maintain that, that vital piece of health being mental health in everything that we do? So when we talk about going to the moon or, go, so the moon is just a weekend getaway. That's not gonna be a problem because the connection that's most viable in that area is a phone call. We can actually do video going to the moon. We saw that with the moon landing, there was video there was video, you have video and audio when you go to the International Space Station, it's only a couple of seconds. The challenge going to Mars is that there's a 40, sec, there's a 40 minute delay in communications. If I were on Mars and you were um, here on Earth, Nina, I would say, hello. 20 minutes later, you would hear that hello. And then you would, how are you? And so 40 minutes later, I would get your response that doesn't work well. So we're, you know, trying to find ways of maintaining that connection with individuals and what makes them feel uh, connected to people and that's communication. And we have that here with COVID because we're, you know, doing Zooms and phone calls and texts to people to check in to see how they are. So there's ways to, to facilitate that. I, I love this conversation, Aliris, and I have been chomping at the bit, uh, looking forward to chatting with you because I, I feel like, um, yeah, I, I get it with, with Zoom calls and, and just overall communications and your internet, like you're, you can get in touch with folks fairly quickly. However, I submit that this situation um, has maybe exacerbated uh, mental health uh, challenges with individuals that maybe were able to mask some mental health challenges by, you know, going shopping, by going to the bar, by going whatever. Like I think people in in a in a a, a normal prior to COVID nineteen situation, they were able to mask maybe some mental health challenges. So I'd love to hear from you. And I know that you're not a licensed therapist, but 
However, the Mental Health Center of Denver being so innovative, you leading that team, you guys have probably talked about this a time or 12 already. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Um, we have, and then I do want to reiterate that I am not a licensed therapist, but I'm around a lot. I listen a lot. And just hearing a lot of the conversations is that there is a challenge with isolation in this manner where people aren't able to either practice what they've learned from their therapist or their therapeutic sessions, or like you said, it exacerbates what their condition was if it, it was, um, you know, loneliness. Could you imagine people who had a sense of loneliness, whether diagnosed or not, or part of a diagnosis, you know, now it gets exasperated because you can't go out and have a coffee with a friend and get out of the place that has confined you for a while and really have that true full interaction that we would like to have. So now it's like, oh, I can't go out and see someone. And hopefully the Zoom, the technology um, is a way to combat that, that underlying issue. So if the issue is loneliness, then loneliness is combated by having communication and interaction. So the technology is, you know, Zoom or any kind of video conferencing and calls. I, I don't know if you've heard a lot of um, advices, you know, instead of texting a friend, call a friend. People need to hear your voice um, and see how you're really doing. Cause on a text, it could be like, oh, I'm fine versus mm, I'm fine. Very different way of doing it, but you can't interpret that from text. So the, the advice is to use the, you know, use something that gives you visual and vocal communication in some kind of way so you can get a fuller experience with that. If part of your, you know, issue is anxiety and things like that, what are some ways you can use technology? So you can use, you know, anxiety gets heightened by stress and this is a stressful situation for a lot of people, you know, because, you know, you can't reach a loved one or, you know, you don't have your same routine or the stress relief that you used to give yourself through physical activity is no longer there. So how do you use technology to relieve that stress? Well, there's a, a low-tech way, which doesn't need any technology, that's, you know, meditation. If you want to use uh, virtual reality as a meditative um, vehicle, that's an option that you can use. You know, it puts you in, it allows you to get out of your current environment. Um, there are some uh, places you can go to, you know, if you can have an avatar and have virtual meetings with people where you're in, I know this is way back in the day, but if you remember Second Life, where you had an avatar and you could go out and see other people in their avatars and just have a different way of communicating that's a whole different, um, that's another technology that you can use, but really it's finding ways to address underlying issue different way using technology. Yeah, I think it's fascinating. Like we've had this conversation many times as it relates to, you know, a crew of four people spending 32 months uh, alone together, right? In a spaceship going to Mars and back, for example. Um, 
And, and so, you know, you look at that situation and great, there's four people together in a ship, but <laughs> you know, those four people don't, you know, the hope is that they like each other and get along well enough and then they can take care of each other. But to your point about the communication, um, you know, that I, and, you know, fully being yourself in that scenario, especially with a 40 minute gap in time, you know, I, I don't know. It's just fascinating, right? The, the, how that conversation that, that you and I've had for the past two years is now like so <laughs> there's a spotlight on that sort of scenario because everybody in the world is having to go through it. Do you think, um, you know, because NASA, for example, while they've focused on picking, you know, the best of the best astronauts, they haven't necessarily always looked at the, as you said, the human component, the emotional component of a situation like that. Do you think a situation like this will really like speed those efforts up or, or open the eyes of organizations like NASA to really start to look? And, and I think this also goes just in general across industries and across communities. But do you think people will start to look more human centric? at solving problems? I think they will. I think we always have, but now we get to add an extra dimension to what that human, those human factors are. It's not just being able to be trained to, you know, push the right buttons or find the right things in an emergency. You know, one thing NASA does extremely well is it trains its individuals and the astronauts to be able to address any situation. So the other part of it is, okay, I know how to push that correct button. The question is, um, am I okay after I push the button in relationship to the other people? You know, one thing we say at Deep Space Predictive, the best people don't always make the best teams. So you have to find the right mix of people who can tolerate each other, who have enough trust in each other, and somebody that you're willing to be somewhat vulnerable with in order to build that trust to be in that four-person group. And so we focus at Deep Space Predictive on the group interaction is finding, okay, here's the best of the best, but you just don't take one, two, three, four, and let's do that. You find the best mix, be one, 27, 18, and 45. And those are the four people that you put together, you know, in a team. And it's how do you alleviate that underlying issue is the underlying issue of one person's stress. So what's the combination that relieves the stress for everybody so that they can yeah. be optimized for it? And are you willing, you know, with any group, um, any kind of relationship, there's, if you have enough trust in that individual, or at least like that individual enough to be in the same room, that, you know, that little laugh that they have yeah, it's cute or fun for the first, you know, month, but months 30, you know, two to 32, I'm, you know, I don't need to hear your voice ever again. <laughs> you know? Right, right. Maybe. So, Alirus? Yes. Alirus, have you been talking to my wife? <laughs> I, I was going to use marriage as, you know, as another analogy. It's like, you know, when you first got married, that laugh was cute. Now it's not. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good, no, that's a great point. Well, and so, you know, here on earth and in this situation with COVID, what's interesting is 
we're, you know, you're kind of stuck with the people you were stuck with when this all went down. And so getting back to the mental health conversation and, you know, we were going to talk about how, how different communities and different groups of people are, are reacting from, you know, with, from a mental health perspective, you know, what are you all seeing? Cause there, you know, there's different neighborhoods, that, you know, socioeconomic status. We always talk about that. Other different underrepresented groups of people. Like what do you see within those different groups and how people are managing mental health when they were, most of them are, you know, in a situation they didn't choose. Um, some are potentially dangerous situations, you know, domestic abuse, for example, has been a, a huge topic. What do you got? What do you see at, at the mental health center, Denver? I think we're seeing all of those types of situations. One of the things that we have practiced internally and, um, as we move over to technology as our solution to, to bridge the gap of not being able to see people, not being able to engage with people in the same way using what can we do to meet that need and our, our answer is technology. On one end, what we've learned is that obviously the digital divide is hugely impacting this, um, the, the, the coping mechanism or solution that we have put in place. So if we've said, you know, you can't come in in person, but please give us a call or let's do a video call. Well, if you don't have a phone or a computer or internet access, you can't do that. And if you are at a social, um, a certain social uh, economic status, that might not be on your priority list. You know, to have a computer and internet service or even a phone at that, you know, to that. So the first thing, and this is the, the focus of community health is what do we need to put in our community <clears throat> so that they can participate in their own health, in their own health altogether and their own mental health. And so one thing we've done at Mental Health Center of Denver is find ways to get those devices to people so that they can participate in our solution, which is a technological solution. And then, you know, the next piece is giving people grace on how they are interacting with that technology and understanding that there's different levels of acceptance of technology. Even if you have it, are you comfortable using it? And are, are you comfortable getting to the help that we have provided in a way that we have provided? You know, for some people it's great because now I only have to take that hour for my appointment not three hours, one, to, one hour to get there, one for my appointment and one to get home. So you have you know, access to it that way, but it's giving people, meeting people where they are and allowing them, if they are gonna have challenges with that, walking with them in those challenges and helping them through that. And if it's just a challenge of getting the device and then they're fine, great. But if they have you know, an aversion to technology, how we have to help them, you know, walk through that just like with any other challenge in a therapeutic session. You have to help walk them through, understand what that need is, and then provide advice and support in, in, in growing there. But um, I think the biggest one is, and, and, and that one is social distancing. You know, why are people not talking to me or not standing next to me? Is it because of a challenge that I'm facing, or is it because something that existed before? 
you know, there's all different types of things that we have to process and help people process and understand what this like social distancing mean. It doesn't mean that I don't like you. It means that we're trying to protect each other. That's a whole nother thing. So it takes a lot more time to, to navigate interactions um, than what we've had in the past. Wow, you hit on so many good points there. I mean, I think that everything you're saying about just giving people grace, like being graciousness about, or being gracious about the fact that we're all learning and we're all trying to navigate this new space together. There's just, there's no playbook for this. Um, so helping people figure it out. I'm so glad that you're actually just going out to the community and trying to bridge this digital divide too. Um, you kind of stole some of my questions, but I mean, I think you really hit on the fact that, you know, different access is so different depending on, you know, what community you're from. I mean, African-Americans, Latinx, Indigenous people have much lower rates of health insurance um, than, than white people do in this country. And it's the same thing in terms of the quality of health care that they receive, um, even if when they do receive it. So addressing that head on, I think that's absolutely amazing. Well, thank you. And, it, and again, it's about the whole community pitching in. Um, we've gotten a lot of donations from corporations. We're working with PCs for people to be able to provide those devices to individuals um, so that they can have them for free or providing phones with minutes on them so they can call and have that access. And it doesn't, it doesn't happen just from us, Mental Health Center of Denver. It happens from the whole community pitching in and realizing the value of that. But it's also hopefully one of conversation we had yesterday is when this is over, is understanding that that digital divide existed, that there are different cultures who are, you know, more severely impacted because of issues that were there before and now are exacerbated by this. And it just makes it much more, you know, difficult to kind of reach those people. Yeah, and so I guess like a follow-up question I have around that is that, you know, I think there's like very specific things that have happened to minority communities in this country. For example, a crazy amount of um, xenophobia against uh, Asian folks. Um, the fact that, um, and I've seen this, uh, where uh, Black men who are wearing masks are considered way more of a threat than, say, a white person is, and like they are actually in danger of losing their lives. Um, by wearing masks in public. And so the mental health implications of that are also really big. I mean, what do you think we should be doing as a society to address these things? Well, I've got, I, I'm not a therapist either, but I've got a suggestion, like it works for me. I just pretend like I'm blind, so I don't see the skin color. <laughs> I, you know how I feel about those comments. That does not address the systemic <laughs> issues. And you know, when you say you don't see color, then you're saying you don't see people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to call you out on that every time you say that. <laughs> uh, I, 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 sorry, Alaris. I, 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 there's a button that I can press every single time with Nina, and I love to press it. So please, I'd love to hear your comments. <laughs> well, that's, that's interesting that you say, you know, the, the blind piece of that, but you can still hear and assess the person's voice. Exactly. You know, assume race from, from voice. And, you know, the interesting... And Mike, you even discriminated based on smell when you talked about that time you got in a taxi and they smelled like curry so <laughs> uh tr true but with i but but there there is a thing when it comes to like i 
and, and, and it could be somebody with an adept ear too. So I, I don't hear ethnicity maybe as much as you might think that uh, you can. And if, if you were just to practice, you know, with your eyes closed on a pretty consistent basis, maybe the whole color divide isn't going to be as prominent in your ear as you think. But so it's easy. It's, it's so I think there, there's a definitely, and just knowing how neuroscience works, right? So up to 50% of your brain is connected to a single sense and that's sight. And it's more than the other four senses combined. Like it's not, it, you, to think that you can just pick out ethnicity just based on um, some words, especially when there's, when you're outdoors and there's all kinds of other sounds going on. I, I don't think it's necessarily as prominent as you might think. Well, that for another debate, Mike, because I have lots of stats to throw at you for that. I want to hear Alaris's response. <laughs> um, I think, Nina, that, that you're right. We do have, you know, those, those biases that, that come out as a result of this, um, this issue and having to learn. I, I think what we're hoping as a result of this is that people are aware. I think they're going to be, there's going to be a, a, a much bigger awareness of the impact of our biases and situations that we have created um, as a result of COVID. And hopefully once, and you know, is COVID going to ever be over? I'm sorry to say this. It's going to create a new next normal in the way that we interact in and be with each other, you know, what are going to be our greetings? How are we going to um, normalize some of the, the things that we do just like after 9-11? We all know to take off our shoes now. That's not discriminating against anybody until we have TSA pre-check that you can pay for. And if you can afford it, you don't have to, but that's a whole nother conversation <laughs> um, of socioeconomic things. But what we do is we have to learn to reform. And the thing about something like this in the time that we're in is we have a lot more knowledge about ourselves and a lot more knowledge, you know, like you talked about your statistics. If we know this, can we change it? And what are we going to do with this knowledge that we have to change? And Nina, I don't know if I answered your question or not, but let me know if I did not. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think you addressed all of it. And I totally agree. I mean, I, I keep saying, you know, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity for us to, to come out of this into the new next normal, being more aware and, you know, back to um, what Mike and Nina were just talking about a few minutes ago, you know, with, with this uh, seeing and hearing and, and that sort of thing, right? Like, that awareness now gives us the ability to consciously or to be more conscious in how we interact and communicate. I mean, it really is a great opportunity to come out of this better than we were. And there's technology like Zoom that, that truly, I think, can help us be that, right? Um, and, and so I think, you know, and like Nina said, I mean, that, that's a whole other episode. Um, but, you know, short answer is to what you said earlier is, yeah, we, we have a, a great opportunity here. And that's what I'm excited about. And I hope that even at the organization level, you know, like 
Mike always likes to say, you know, a big point of this podcast is what can we leave the audience with to take back their organizations, you know, practical things that they can start to apply. Um, and so maybe that's how we can close up is, is your thoughts on that? Because, um, you know, how can you, how can we come out of this to help build more inclusive workplaces? I think we have an opportunity to do that at scale now, but you know, how do we, how do we go about doing that from, from your perspective, Alaris? I really think it's part of, being aware, we have time to be aware now, <laughs> to stop and think about what's going on. Because another thing about this whole situation is, especially um, as we talk to people, we are seeing a whole new different side of the individuals that you work with. And it may, you know, kind of flesh out your perception of that person because of you know, maybe what you're seeing on the screen or hearing about their stories that you normally would not have heard about because it was something separate outside of the workplace. Now everyone's in their home and being a little bit different in their presentation to you because they're not hiding or they're not behind as much. You get to see more of their workspace, of their home life, of their experience. And it's an opportunity to one, open a conversation about it, about curiosity. It's an opportunity to, um, you know, when you open the conversation, you learn more, but it's also an opportunity to practice, you know, like we were talking earlier about grace and giving people a little more room to be how, to be themselves and understand what makes up their whole selves and to share with them and you, you all share with each other who you are and how you come to work. And I think that conversation is gonna help people and it's to be open to being asked those questions too. You know, we, we always tell people, well, ask questions about someone's, you know, home life or whatever. As I know we all have these new furry coworkers, you know, open the conversation about their pet and have a, be open about that and what the, your pet means to you. I know it's something simple, but if you have a pet, that's a meaningful part of your life. And it's just having that conversation to go over and just be open to having that conversation. Love it, love it. Lo really, really uh, so looking forward to having you on Aliris and you did not disappoint. So thank you for uh, uh, being a guest on our podcast. We really do appreciate it. It's a voice that uh, is critical for our listeners to hear. And um, uh, your leadership with Mental Health Center of Denver is uh, uh, very much needed at this time. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity, you know, to share my perspective. You know, that's what we're here to do is learn more about each other. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely agree. Such a pleasure as always. And um, yeah, I, what, where can people go real quick? Where can people go to find resources? that you've alluded to throughout the episode? So um, Mental Health Center of Denver, mhcd.org, has a whole COVID response and different things to do, um, not only if you want to donate devices or how to take care of yourself. You know, one of the big things that's on there that most people don't think about is when it is one of uh, a barrier to good mental health, you know, being in a stressful situation, 
you know, the first thing that's on how do you take care of yourself is don't watch as much news. Turn off the news and walk away. And don't be immersed in that stress-inducing, you know, narrative and environment. It's little things like Amen. that think are on the website that can really help people just think differently and find small ways to enhance their situation. Completely agree. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you all. Thank you, Aliris. Thank you, Nina. Thank you, Mike. Um, I think this is a very timely, impactful episode. And, um, you know, thanks for tuning in, audience. We will see you soon. Bye, everyone. Bye. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Choose Inclusion podcast. Make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And you can see closed captioning for this podcast on our YouTube channel. You can find us online on our website, chooseinclusion.com, and contact us on Twitter at chooseinclusion.com.